You're listening to Behind the Note Podcast, brought to you by a musician for musicians. Here, you will get advice toward a successful music career. This show is made to educate, inspire, motivate, and empower. Now, here is your host, Chris Davis. Thanks for pressing play today. You've done it over 40 times now, unless this is your first time. Either way, welcome to the show. We have a great one planned for you. But first, I want to ask that you go ahead, rate, and review the show on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever medium you're using right now to listen to this. We want to be seen in front of more people so we can help more people. And now with that said, we're going to get on with the show. Today, we're going to talk about being a better freelancer. We're going to get some tips on how to be a better freelancer because most of us do that at least part of the time. So we can all use tips on that. And today's guest is a great person to help us with that because he's very active in the New York scene and he plays regularly with the likes of Billy Hart, Oren Evans, Kurt Rosenwinkle. Those are some hard names to say and many others. And he's also the receiver of the 2014 ASCAP Composers Award. I'm very happy to present to you right now, trumpeter John Raymond. John, thank you so much for joining us on the show. We're glad to have you today. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. So I just introduced you a little bit, but we want to get to know you a little bit better. So I want to start off by asking, what are some of your hobbies? What do you like to do when you're not performing music? So I live in Brooklyn, and uh, I've been married for almost five years. So um, I feel like the time that I am not thinking about music and playing and teaching and doing whatever, I'm, I want to be at home. And, um, and I actually, nine weeks or so ago, I had a, a baby girl. So it's our first, first daughter. So I especially want to be home. You know. Yeah, congratulations, man. Yeah, thanks. You and I are similar in that way. I've been married for five years too. Oh, cool. And have have two young young people, man. My my youngest is two. Oh wow. Yeah, so wow. congratulations awesome. to you. Thank you. It's a it's a great thing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Call me if you need some pointers. <laughs> I might I might have to. I'm not a pro, but I got some tips. <laughs> so uh when did you begin your musical journey? Tell us and tell us some of your favorite moments to date. Well, I remember, I mean, I started playing trumpet in fifth grade, and I had a couple really, really great educators that were my first teachers in fifth and sixth grade. And I remember, I don't remember the details, but I remember specifically we were, um, we had this opportunity to go to the University of Minnesota, because I'm from, I'm from Minneapolis. And we had the opportunity to do that and basically perform alongside of like this collegiate brass ensemble. It was like this little, you know, brass quintet that we had formed with like five of us sixth graders. So I, I, I mean, I can't remember anything else about how we played or what happened, but I just remember that that was, you know, I, I had had great opportunities to perform and to, um, I don't know, do things that were going to inspire me and, and get in, I, I was going to get inspiration from other people, you know, um, just right from an early age. Um, and then I think for me, one of the more defining moments came when I was like a junior in high school and I, uh, was over at a friend's house who was a little bit older than me and he was kind of showing me the ropes for the, the previous couple of years on just improvising and, um, jazz playing and even just general trumpet playing stuff. And, um, he played me this bootleg of Nicholas Payton. 
uh, live at the Dakota, um, which was then in St. Paul. And this was probably, I guess what, that would have been 2002. And so maybe the bootleg was from, you know, 2001 or 2000 or something. But I just remember him playing this bootleg and it's like an eight bar drum solo up front. And then Nick just takes this absolutely burning solo break. Uh, I think they played without a song in my heart or something like that. I just remember feeling and kind of thinking in that moment, like, okay, I have to do that. Like there's something that just drew me instantly from that. And um, yeah, that, I mean, that, that was probably the biggest thing. And then, you know, I, I went on to go to school at UW-Eau Claire for my undergrad, which was an hour and a half away from Minneapolis, um, kind of a small state school. Um, got a lot of stuff together there. And then in 2009, came out to New York to get a master's uh, at SUNY Purchase, just outside of New York City, and I've been here ever since. Wow, that's a really cool story. You said something that I can relate to, and I think most people can relate to. There was one definitive moment where you felt pulled, you were drawn into to music, and you knew that you were supposed to perform. I had a similar situation. I walked into a sound check when Jazz at Lincoln Center was performing in Chicago. And it was similar to what you described. So that's really good to hear that most people have something like that. That's great. So who, were, who were your teachers in, in college? Well, when I was at UW-Eau Claire, I studied with a guy named Robert Baca, who, or Bob Baca, is mainly a classical trumpet player. But I say that saying that he's an incredible jazz trumpet player, too. Uh, I, think he, I think he technically spent more time throughout his career playing orchestral stuff. Um, but he can play anything commercial, any kind of improvisation things. He He's still to this day probably obviously one of my biggest influences, but um, he's probably one of my favorite trumpet players to listen to because he makes the trumpet sound so easy. And he studied with Bill Adam, who had taught at Indiana for all those years, and so he kind of comes out of the Bill Adam lineage. And so I was kind of taught that whole trumpet routine and way of thought and how to do things like that. And then when I went to SUNY Purchase, I got to study a little bit with John Faddis, um, got to study a little bit with Jim Rotundi and Scott Wendholt. And since even then, I've spent a lot of time actually with John McNeil, who teaches at NEC in Boston, but lives in Brooklyn. So we'll get together pretty frequently. And I think over the past few years, he's probably been my biggest influence and mentor and things like that. So those are some good relationships to have. Yeah. They've they've been great. And they've all added different things to my playing, you know, and and challenged me in different ways. You know, that I think if I wouldn't have had that, I wouldn't be where I am today or whatever. So Yeah, that's very true. We talk about that a lot on the show, just how important relationships are. You can't make it anywhere on your own. Okay, so I wanted to ask you this. I know for me personally, I want, and I want to know if you had a similar situation. Tell the truth. You don't have to agree with me. But I felt for me that I really didn't grow as much as I could in college. But I did learn the lessons after I graduated. Mm. Do you find that to be true for yourself? That's a, you know, that's a really interesting thing. Um, I think in certain ways I do find that true to my, for me. I think it's undeniable when I think back about how much I did learn. I think once I was transitioning, I mean, it was really once I left undergrad and got to the graduate level 
And, and really, I mean, that's when I started living in New York. So I, I felt like that was kind of when my quote unquote real, real world time started to happen, you know. And I think I realize now looking back on it that I was taught all these principles and I was taught these certain ways to think about, you know, my career and think about playing the trumpet and playing jazz or whatever it may be that now as I kind of have to figure it out on my own, you know, that's where it started to all piece together. And I've realized like, oh, they, they laid a really good foundation for me. No, that's exactly true. Once you, Cause you just have to live. You have to get outside the box mm-hmm. of school and apply. And that's where the lessons start. Mm-hmm. So that's really cool. So tell us today, how do you make your living in music? Um, I do a number of different things, probably like most people. Um, I, teach at a school in New York here called the United Nations International School. And uh, it's basically a private school for international students and specifically people that work at the UN. And so I teach only trumpet at this school. It's, it's really cool. I teach 16 or so private students. Also teach a class of fifth grade beginning trumpet players. And then teach I should have started teaching uh the middle school jazz band this year so I'm basically there three days a week um that keeps me pretty busy keeps me on my toes and um is a good reliable steady source of income I'm doing uh, mostly jazz gigs around the city playing with big bands like Orrin Evans big band and um George G's big band and Josh Evans big band and whoever um so yeah, just freelancing as a kind of a sideman in that way, some, but trying to really book a lot of my own gigs, both in New York and around the country, and starting to get some more international things happening too. So just trying to like balance the the thing of getting called for something, and then pursuing something on my own, and really taking charge to kind of make it happen, you know. It's good to have a balance, and I think uh, doing the sideman gig helps the solo career and vice versa. Absolutely, they definitely yeah. play hand in hand. I know. I want. I want to talk about something that I noticed that you offer um, on your website. You ever on your teaching page? You advertise talking about the freelance life and what every musician needs to know. You offer entrepreneurship and jazz, and this podcast is is about giving advice for a successful music career. So. Those two topics definitely are related, and I want to, I want to get into that right now, and hopefully help help somebody out. Yeah, yeah. So, so I wanted to ask. Well, let's just start with this. What are some of the lessons that you teach that you think are important for the freelancer? As I've really thought about it over the years, and I've, you know, had a decent amount of experience at it so far. You know, I feel like. There's kind of the music stuff that you need to have together. Like I, I tell students um, all the time that you know the absolute most important thing for you as a musician is that you have to be as good of a musician as you possibly can be, because if we're thinking about this in terms of a business, the product, so to say, that you're selling is your music. It's how you play. It's how you think about music. It's your compositions. It's your arrangements or whatever it is. Um, and so ultimately, um, you know, I think for a little while, for me, if I'm honest, I wanted to try to create success for myself doing everything else but the music. And when I kind of realized that, oh, hey, like, you know, 
this is actually what's most important. And if I take care of the music first, like everything else will kind of take care of itself. That has really shown true to me. And I, I think for, for people who are wanting to make a career in music, the most important thing is, is your music. You know, I mean, it's, it sounds obvious, but um, I, I really kind of hit home on that because I uh, have, like I said, personally even experienced myself how true that is. So that's one thing I, you know, I talk a lot too with students about for us making a career in music not only depends on your music, but it depends on you. It depends on your character. It depends on your organization, your time management, your responsibility, how you plan, just your general relationships with other people. Like you said, right at the, the top, you know, I mean, it's, it really comes down to relationships and building these relationships with people and maintaining them too. And, and, and I think it's important to not do that, you know, for the sole purpose of, you know, killing it for your business. I mean, it's, it's gotta be the fact that this really is all about the community of people that you surround yourself with. And yeah, you know, I, I really kind of hit home on that and, and there are other things too, but I think if you were to, to break it down and like, two main categories. I, I really talk about those things, what you have to do in the music and what you have to do outside of the music that will kind of make it all come together. Well, I want to get into some things that are outside of the music. Yeah. Because I want to assume that people are serious about the craft mm-hmm. and they kind of have that together. So for you personally, what, what have you found to work for you? If you look at your calendar and you say, oh, I, I have some open dates here. I could I could use this uh, time to to perform. What what have you found to work for you? I think as a freelance musician, you have to be looking ahead. You have to be looking far in advance, and that's something I feel like I've learned over the years. That I, I have to essentially think at least three or four months ahead of time, um, if not you know six to nine to maybe even twelve months ahead of time and really be looking ahead you know for example i i'm literally about to release this album of mine that's about to come out next week and you know once that comes out i'm already looking to book some tours and different things in the fall but i'm also wanting to release another record in the fall um, with a different band and so i'm trying to figure out okay how do i plan all that where it's not getting in the way of each other and that's in October, November. So, I mean, that's, that's far down the road. I, I, think, I think the planning thing is huge because you have to really have kind of a bigger vision for what, you know, how, how you want this all to piece together. And at the same time, realize that you could, you could have this ideal uh, plan in your head and ultimately have none of it come to fruition. You know, I, th- I think it's, there's only a certain amount that you have control over. You can obviously go for it and and do your best to try to make it happen, but ultimately it's just a an idea until it actually starts to materialize. You know. Yeah, that's so true. And you actually said something without saying it directly, but you have more than one thing happening at at the same time. So you have your you have your CD release concerts, and then you have a separate band that's also performing that you're a part of and you and you're working those things simultaneously. So that's very helpful. So what what is the entrepreneurship in jazz? What what are some lessons we need to know? The heart and soul of being an entrepreneur in this music is you're essentially taking control or as much control as you can 
uh, of your own career. So when we think about entrepreneurship, you know, for me, I was kind of taught all throughout college by this uh, Bob Baca, who was my teacher, to really kind of think in a certain way. You know, I I think the big thing with entrepreneurship that can really apply to everybody um, is not necessarily like, oh, you need to do this or you need to do that. And it's specific things. I think it's rather just how we think like an entrepreneur. And I think entrepreneurs really think to me in kind of, you know, a few main ways that if you were to look at everybody that's successful at what they're doing, um, if they're if they're kind of exercising their entrepreneurship right, so to say, um, I think they one, I think they uh, they're dreamers. You know, I think I think they have a vision for something that may be ambitious, that may be beyond what they think they can do, but they're so sold out on that vision that they're going to figure out any way um, possible to make that happen. You know, I think like it's for me, it was when I heard that Nicholas Payton recording, like, you know, I, I said to myself, like, I want to do that. Or like, I, not even I want to, but I have to, like, you feel this compulsion to it. And, um, I think for a, an entrepreneur, you, you get so wrapped around one idea and one goal that that's really what drives you, you know? So I think there's that. I think there's the fact that entrepreneurs are, they're initiators. I don't think they, they wait for people to do things for them. They, they realize that they have to take control of their own situation and, and really make the best of it. You know, a phrase my, my teacher at UW-Eau Claire would always say was, you want to bloom where you're planted. And I think what he was saying with that was, Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, the, the most important thing for you to do is, is grow from that. And you can't necessarily skip three steps, you know, from being a, a seed to being this beautiful flower. You have, to, you have to go through the whole process, you know. And, um, but I think, I think it's figuring out as an entrepreneur what it looks like to grow and, and bloom where you are, you know, and to take control of it. And I, I think the other thing, too, with, with entrepreneurship is... Uh, we have to not be afraid to fail at something. You know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a scary thing to like have this goal that you care about and that's very personal to you and, and to kind of put yourself out there and then have it not go well or like have it just not pan out at all. And I've had things even over the last five years or so where, you know, I've gone for a certain thing. It's not really worked out. It's not happened. And I have to kind of reassess there and say, okay, what is this all teaching me? Um, and, and ultimately, I think entrepreneurs realize that any failure that they have at something is only going to make them better. But it's also only, you know, it's, it's going to probably clarify and, and help them kind of readjust and realign themselves in a certain way that will get them back on the right track or the, the track they're supposed to be on. I'm just going to recap what you said. Number one, yeah. the entrepreneurs have vision. They dream. Yeah. Yeah. And then secondly, they go out and they pursue their dream. And they might not always know how, but they try. Actually, I'm going to put something in right here because I learned something about the process of how. And it's called reverse engineering. Uh, hmm. Have you heard about that before, John? No. So it's basically you, you dream and you see the end result, but you don't know how you're going to do it, right? So you just work backwards from what your goal is. You say, okay, yeah. well, if I'm going to do this, how can I do that? Well, I'm going to need to do A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And you just keep asking those questions. How am I going to do that? Until 
finally you have something on your day where you say, okay, if I do this one thing today, it's going to help me to reach my goal tomorrow. And ultimately, in 12 months, I'll have my dream, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then something you said was that I really liked was uh, the part about being a seed, how you can't just skip the steps, mm-hmm. but, you, but you must go through the process. That's the refining period where, where you're becoming stronger. You're becoming better at your craft. You're learning more about business and relationships, and you're becoming a better person. Mm-hmm. And, and, and in becoming a better person, you're able to serve people. And in that service, you become more attractive and people want more of you and you begin to blossom. So that's the that's the end result or part of the process. The yeah. process is golden. That's that's yeah. really what everything's all about. The process. Yeah. And, and sometimes people forget that they think the end result is is what we're going for. But mm. the beauty is the process. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And I think the thing with entrepreneurs is, and it goes exactly with what you just said, is as long as you're active doing something, it doesn't matter what you're doing. But I, I think the, the thing that's contrary to entrepreneurship is just waiting around for something to happen. That would be the total opposite. And so I think if, if we as musicians are taking any kind of steps towards goals that we may have, um, that's really what entrepreneurship is, you know, and it's that, that's that process. And if that process isn't happening, then, you know, nothing's happening. That's so. true because, uh, which, again, what you just stated was something that I've come to learn was called the compound effect or it's also called momentum. <laughs> it's momentum. If you're, if you're not moving, you're dying. If you're, not, if you're not moving forward, then you're dying. So that process of taking step by step, creates momentum and that's what everybody really wants so i'm wondering what are you promoting right now you mentioned that you have an album coming up soon so this album that i'm releasing now is a quartet album that i recorded about a year ago it's mostly original music and joining me on it is dan tepfer who plays piano uh, joe joe martin on bass and billy hart on drums and so we had a really, really great time in the studio, and I thought the music came out really well. And yeah, the, the record's out April 28th. Um, you can find it on my website, and we'll, we'll have a couple of release shows here on the East Coast, and I'm working out some stuff for the summer and the fall and other places as well. So yeah, lots to come for sure. Right on. Now, I wasn't planning this, but if, if it works out perfectly, man, we'll use this. So have you released an album before? Yes. I have. All right. Great. Tell us some things you learned from the process of releasing an album before. Because we want to we want to get better, too. I know there's some things that you probably did in the past that you say, OK, I'm going to do this differently next time. Uh-huh. Like what, what were those things? You know, a lot of it was non-musical things. Um, th- there were obviously certain musical things that I wanted to improve on and, and just, you know, get a tighter concept, that kind of thing. But. I think as far as the other stuff, one thing I've really realized through this process of this album is how important the visual image is that people see of you. Um, and I think for us, really, that means you know your press photos and your YouTube and your, your people having the opportunity to see you live in a video setting, even if they're not technically seeing you live. You know, I think having really strong, high, high quality images 
for me has opened, I mean, even in the last few months has opened all these doors where, for example, I um, recently transitioned to a Squarespace website and uh, Squarespace basically contacted me and said, we love your images. We want to make your website like one of the things that people see on the front page of Squarespace, you know? And that, and they told me straight up that it was because I had such a high quality image. And um, there's been a lot of other things like that that have come up in the past couple of months where people have just said, wow, these, this image is so striking, you know? <laughs> Even uh, there was this one women's magazine in Australia, which was like, we want to use your photo because you appeal to moms of all ages. And I was just like, I have no idea what this means, but it, I guess it says something good about the, the image, you know? I wanted so. to ask you, where, okay, I'm assuming you hired a professional photographer. Is mm -hmm. that true? Yep. Did you spend more than $300 on your yes. photos? Yep. Okay. <laughs> Quite a bit more. Okay. Uh, and th that, was, that was something I had to feel out. I mean, I, I knew... That's kind of the reality. I feel like if you want quality video, if you want quality photos, if you want a quality sounding record too, to some extent, it costs money. And, and that's the hard part, you know, is that you have to be, I think as a freelancer, you have to be really wise with your money and really plan ahead with your money. Because um, for me, for example, I put out my first record in, let's see, 2012, made it in 2011, released it in 2012. And since then, I've basically been saving up money so that I can do as many records with however much money I have in the bank to go on now. And so this album that I'm releasing now called Foreign Territory, all in all, between the music side of things, the, the whole album, um, between the publicity, between the photos, between the advertising that I'm doing for some, on some different websites and some different places... I mean, it's costed me so much money, more money than I thought I would have to spend or would need to spend. Um, and while I realize that's not possible for all musicians to have that capital and then be able to obviously spend that, what I have learned is that, like I was saying, the visual part of things, especially in our culture now, I think is so important because people react to an image differently than if they have to click on something to hear it play. You know, they... They, if they see something that's going to immediately engage them, that's going to then help them hopefully get to the music and say, I want to check that out just because of how great that looks, you know. So I feel like it's prioritizing how, what's really important as far as what you want to spend your money on, you know. And how are you making sure that people know that you have something available for them? Well, I have a website. Um, I'm trying to direct traffic to that as much as I can. I, that, and I usually do that via a newsletter that I send out once a month. I've been doing that for, I think, four or five years now, uh, every month. That's very important. And where are you getting these email addresses from? That, a lot of times, I mean, it started out as something that I had I'd had them kind of in a database um, of just friends and family and other musicians and people that were just interested in what I did. Uh, and then when I finally started the newsletter, I put all of them together. Um, but since then, it's, it's really kind of been a slow process of gaining fans, so to say, via my website or via social media, um, mostly Facebook, and allowing people to interact with me in that way. And for me to be able to interact with them, you know, I, that, it's definitely a two-way street there. You told us so much. Uh, I don't know if you, 
hey guys, listen to this, listen to this talk over and again because John said a lot without saying it directly. And I might even go back in at the end and recap some things because this is very valuable information. And uh, I'm just going to stop right there and say thank you for your time. I really appreciate you. And uh, ask for a half hour, and we're we're already there. And how how can people get in contact with you if they want to if they want to? Yeah. Um, well, the website that you can go to to kind of follow tour dates and buy the new album and keep up with everything uh, is johnraymondmusic.net. Uh, .net is important. I couldn't get the .com. Um, so johnraymondmusic.net. Um, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, I have a musician page as well as a personal page, and I'm on Twitter uh, and YouTube as well. So, um, yeah, I would love for people to keep in touch and, and uh, you know, let me know if this helped them in any way. What's your Twitter handle? Twitter handle is J Raymond Music. Facebook, I believe, is also the same, J Raymond Music. John, we thank you so much. We had a great time with you today. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Chris. All right, catch you next time. All right, and that's all the time we have for today. But first, I'm going to recap some key points that we learned about. Number one, remember this. The product that you're selling is your music. Number two, bloom where you are planting. You cannot skip steps. You can't go from being a seed to automatically morphing into a beautiful flower. You must go through the process. Number three, remember this. Any failure that you have at something is only going to make you better. And actually, it goes back to point number two. Failure is part of the process. Remember that when you're getting discouraged and you're just going through the trials of getting better. All right? That's all for today. I want you to please go to iTunes or Stitcher or whatever medium you're listening to this on. Rate and review this episode. Rate and review Behind the Note podcast as a whole. Thanks a lot. God bless you. See you next episode.